Hello, and welcome to the Workout Session Podcast. I'm your host, Lamaya Cruz. If you have ever wondered how and what someone did to successfully get to where they are now, well, this is the podcast for you. That's right. This podcast uncovers the method to the genius, the routine, the creative exercise, the unique process that each of our guests developed that has shaped them into who they are today. This is the official first episode of the podcast. And I am so humbled to be in this space, to have these enlightening conversations, and to really just learn as I go. I want to first off, thank you, yes, you, (laughs) for clicking on this evolving thing that started out as an idea two years ago, and morphed from one thing to this thing here, and for listening. I'm truly honored to have your support and your attention, and hopefully this will empower and inspire and inform you wherever you are in your process currently. And on this episode, we have special guest, Iman Tucker, a pretty phenomenal human being and leader in his community, but he is also a highly creative business owner of Bully Brand Co., which is a faith-based organization built around community and creativity. In addition to being a sought-out turntablist in Indianapolis and a director of marketing and design for a startup called Cardboard, which is an online whiteboard tool that allows users to connect from anywhere in the world. And as if his cup hasn't runneth over enough, (laughs) Iman has just been named as the pregame concourse DJ for the Indianapolis Pacers, during the 2021-2022 season. Wow, congratulations, Iman, on the major wins. I really enjoyed the nature of our conversation, and I hope you will also. And before we get into the episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show, and please share, leave a review if you feel compelled to. That would really help a lot. And tell us what you think by tagging us on our Instagram, at The Workout Session. You can also watch the full interview on our YouTube channel as well. Thank you in advance for all your support. Thank you again, Iman, for joining us today on the Workout Session Podcast. I really, really appreciate you being here. And I know you have such a great story to tell. And uh, I'm sure your process is going to be a great one as well. Um, But let's jump into it, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Thank you for having me. It's really cool, one, to see you again, uh, but then also get to share and chat with you in this time as well. Yes, for sure. So one of my favorite questions to ask anyone, and also I really am into, I don't know if you've seen like day in the lives of people on YouTube or just like behind the scenes, but what does a typical day in the life look like for you? Because I mean, you have a lot of jobs, so... (laughs) Let us know. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because a day in the life, it depends on the day and on the week, because one day it may be specifically some of the retail stuff. Other days, like today was a tech day for me. Um, tomorrow is going to be a DJ day. Um, but I would say the one thing that remains consistent in all my days is really the concept of this is something I've really been on lately, probably like the last three months of my life. 
is just romanticizing life and being really gracious and grat- like show gratitude for the things going on in it. So regardless of whatever industry we're in, just being thankful, even if it sucks, even if it's long, it's like, wow, we're just happy to have a privilege to be here. Right. I agree. Um, so as far as like a morning routine goes, is that part of your process in the morning? Just journaling down what you're grateful for or how does that look like? Uh, yeah, that definitely for me, that comes through a lot of prayer. Um, just talking directly to God and saying, just one, thank you for everything. But then two, allow me to be focused, allow me to be sharp. Um, and actually, recently, I've realized how everybody says it, but I haven't really conceptualized it until I got older, how important diet actually is into being showing gratitude for things like treating your body with gratitude as well. Oh, yeah, I totally agree with that. Like every morning I have to start off with like a warm or um, room temperature water just to kind of like mm. cleanse my body and to start my day. It's just one of those things that I have to do. Yeah. Yeah. I would say mine, mine is similar, but a little bit different. I actually use cold water with some wheatgrass and some lemon. And that typically like kicks me up, gets my digestive system rolling. And by the time I set that settles in, I'm like ready to go for the day. Yes. Yes. And so I guess for your day, is there something that you are consistently doing as far as um, the business end? Uh, I would say with all of the industries, there's typically three main industries that we're in. So retail tech and then the entertainment on the DJ side. I always, one thing that remains consistent is always trying to like make sure our clients are taken care of and making sure that they're responded to, that they felt cared for, that they felt like somebody's giving them attention for the day. And so typically, even though a lot of people say it's kind of a reactionary approach, uh, for me, customer service is everything. So no matter what the day is, that's another thing that seems to be a consistent for me and for us even. Great answer. So what made you wake up and decide to start a career as a DJ? And this was in 2016. So it's been five years. Yeah, it's been five years. And sometimes it feels like it's been like maybe one year or two years. I still kind of feel like an infant in the DJ game just because I have so many amazing mentors that have been doing this for like 20 years. So when I say five years, it's almost laughable to some of these people. Um, But actually what made me wake up and want to be a DJ was it was kind of more like a gradual process. I always tell people, you don't really know what you're good at or what you enjoy until you spend a a good amount of time doing it. And so when I first started off as a DJ, it was really just a hobby. I would go out to these parties with some of my college friends and I wasn't particularly into the party scene. I was typically always like the DD and any of my teammates can vouch for me on that. So I had to have some type of role while I was there. Wasn't really there to dance, wasn't really there to socialize. So I started plugging my phone into an aux cord. Back when aux cores were still a thing. Right. <laughs> and I, then I downloaded the DJ app and it was so cool just to hear these little transitions, these little effects. And then before I know it, there was almost like this strange obsession with the art that I just really cared about and I was passionate about and I wanted to learn it. And naturally, as things go, as you learn it and you invest your money and your time into it, you get better at it. And now people, the market will vet that thing and they'll say, well, come out to this, come out to that. And I never thought I was very good, but next thing I know, it's five years later and we're still getting booked and we're still getting gigs. So I guess that's God or the universe saying like, keep going because it's working. But there wasn't specifically one day where I woke up and I'm just like, I'm going to pursue this thing with everything I got. So what was your go-to song back then? Uh, My go-to song, uh, actually it'd be OT Genesis. It's a song called Push It. 
Uh, my roommate at the time, Trayvon Matthews, we had a little choreographed dance for it. So we'd always push everybody. So you out do of dance. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Every now and then. Yeah. Was this something that you always wanted to do? Yeah. So actually, I was quite the opposite um, in terms of focus. It, in my mind, I wanted to do the corporate America thing. I wanted to climb my way up in a ladder and I wanted to be really stable and just do that thing because I don't think I really knew any better. And it's not to say that that is a bad thing. Um, but once I actually got into the corporate world, I just realized culturally for me specifically who I am, how I work, sometimes how I dress, how I speak, it just didn't really fit. It, it seemed like I always had to force it for it to work in every situation. Even just like when we would go out to lunch, it's like, Hey, you know, I want to go to waffle house. Somebody wants to go over here to some super nice restaurant. It just was very different for me. And so that's when I had to take the responsibility and understand that whatever that difference was, something was out of alignment. And instead of complaining about it, instead of just showing up every day and just, just kind of trying to fight through it, I just felt a responsibility to figure it out. And so in that process, I took a lot of risk, um, crossed a lot of bridges, did not burn any bridge because I was thankful for these corporate opportunities. But as I started getting my feet wet into entrepreneurship and design and entertainment and more like just like curating experiences, whether it be from business or music, I recognized that there was a huge need for it. And there's a need for that authenticity and there's a need for somebody to step up. And whether that's me or somebody else, I don't know, but it just felt right for me to continue to walk in that direction. Great answer. And how was that journey starting out? Well, I would say the first thing was, is when I stepped into corporate America, I got a very attractive offer in terms of benefits, in terms of a salary. And so for a while, that was very like secure. And I don't want to use the word addicting by any means, because we're all here to survive. That's like the number one rule of life, survive. Um, but once I had to say no to that and transition to something to where I'm automatically taking a pay cut and it's on me every day to work for commissions, that was pretty stressful because for the longest time, especially within my college, before I even had a job, people would in a way translate Iman as the guy that always had financial wherewithal. And so you put on this image like, okay, I got this cash, I got this money, uh, I'm big balling out here. But the reality of it is, is I don't even know when I'm going to get my next check and I'm living off my savings right now. And I'm not sure how to vet a product. I'm not sure how to talk to a customer in a way that's going to get them to pay a high ticket price for our services. But then also, I wasn't even experienced. So I didn't really have the value to even provide to my clients. And so that's why I had to make sure I was being very intentional every single day that I woke up, taking care of my mind, taking care of my body, taking care of my work so that I could get to that point because I knew that my savings wasn't going to last me forever. Right. And kind of going back to... I know that you were an athlete in college. In fact, you were an athlete at the University of Indianapolis and track and field. And I know that um, just doing some reading on you, you've had like a very, very fascinating and inspiring story. Can you tell, share a little bit about that and how that kind of helped you with navigating new business ventures? Yeah, I mean, to me, it, my... My college journey sometimes reminds me of my entrepreneurial journey because in high school, you put all this time into the sport. You hope that it's going to pay off, but you don't really know until a coach says yes, until a client says yes to what you have to offer. And so for me, I, I knew that the only way for me to 
get out of college because at that mind, I, I just thought college was the only way. And that's not, that's not to say college is a bad suggestion or a bad solution. I promote it for a lot of people. Um, however, it's just the only solution that I knew that I had. Um, and so when I got there, I had this big vision of being this great athlete and full ride scholarship and just being the man, maybe getting paid to do track one day. I was completely unaware of my own ability. I really was. Um, but in that time, there was a lot of sickness, a lot of injury, a lot of things that kept me from competing even at like a 60% level. And so much like entrepreneurship, you just had to figure it out. Like you're already here in the experience and there's no one giving you a guide and saying, the ABC, this is what you got to do to get from point A to point B to point C. It's like, no, like you're here. This is what we can do for you. This is what we can't do for you. And your mental, your emotional, some of these other things, like figure it out. And so I feel like some of those things I learned actually were very transferable for me because I had to learn how to create value. So because I couldn't create value as a fast athlete, I had to create value as somebody that listened, somebody that cared, somebody that was there. And I think that in, in a strange way, that's a little bit how I approach my customer service of like personal empathetic relationships where I'm really listening, caring, and trying to provide value. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that sums it up. How important were mentors and your peers in your personal journey? And how have they helped shape you as the person you are today? Yeah, so mentorship is very interesting to me because I kind of go back and forth with where I'm at on it. Because sometimes what I see a lot of people do is if they get so caught up in mentorship that it almost becomes more entertainment. So they'll hear the feedback, they'll hear the advice, but then there's nothing really practical or applicable that they take away from it. And so for me, I had to stop just asking people what they thought I should do and give me advice and specifically ask my mentors to help teach me the things that I'm trying to learn so that I could actually walk away from these sessions and apply it. So for example, uh, one of my college coaches, my event coach, um, he was an entrepreneur. Uh, he was a melanated person just like us that loved God, that uh, had a family, had all these things. And so instead of me asking him, well, what should I do with my life? I'm saying, these are the things I wanna do. What would you suggest is gonna get me there? And when I started taking that approach to mentorship, it even changed how I brought mentors into my life. And so I got to give them so much credit because they helped expedite the process of education, even just with DJing, like over at Decademics down in Broad Ripple. The stuff that they taught me, it taught me how to learn what I wanted to know in the future. And what are, were some of the lessons that you learned from your mentor? Like what's the one that stands out to you the most? Successful people work really, really hard. And it's not just like they work hard, they work almost obsessively hard because they really believe in this mission and this vision. And then two, they always say, if I were younger, I would have done this instead. Or if I were younger, I would try here, or I'd put more effort into this, or I'd be more empathetic and do these things. And so for me, I think the biggest takeaway is, is stop trying to wait until the future for these things to happen and just give it my all now. Because I don't want to be the type of mentor that has to look at somebody younger than me and say, I wish I would have worked harder. I wish I would have gave my all to DJing or I wish I would have not cared what somebody else thought about me quitting this job and just going to pursue what I truly believed in that I knew could help and provide value. Would you say that was the best advice you've ever received thus far in your journey? Or is there something else that's stuck with you that you're just like, that's something that I take with me every day? 
I think two things. I think that is one of them. What give it your all early and as soon as you can and be willing to learn. But then also too, is just be authentically you because there may be something that somebody told me long time ago that has forever stuck with me and it allowed me to be who I am. And if I'm trying to hide that to conform to something or to fit into a box, I'm not going to be able to be authentic in the future when I'm sharing that same lesson to somebody else, because we could say the same thing back and forth, but perhaps a young lady takes what you say much more serious and deeper because your perspective resonates with her. Or a young man takes what I say much deeper. It's, it's just be you, be who you are and be great to that person. And have you, would you say that in your journey, you have always been your authentic self or was that something that early on or later on you had to figure out how to do it? Yeah. I mean, when I, when I use the term DJ, when I say, yeah, I'm a DJ, there's so many times I get these strange looks or like, you mean like a, like a wedding DJ or it's all rebuttal. Like, well, what's wrong with a wedding DJ? Like, what do you see when you think of a wedding DJ? Like, there's so many labels and stigmas that they attach to, to these things. And so for me, it's like, I got to recognize and I got to understand that the world is always going to say what the world says. And there's no way that I'm going to be able to please everybody. When I quit my job, I let people down. When I told people I wanted to be a DJ, I let people down. When I told people that, yes, I got my MBA, but it wasn't right for me specifically at that time in my life, I'm going to let people down. If I say I love my MBA and it was the best experience ever, I'm still going to let people down. And so once I finally really started to tap into my spirituality really more and try to figure out like who God made me and why he made me the way he did and resonate and romanticize that person, that's when I finally felt free to dress the way I do or talk the way I do or listen to what I do, share what I do on social media. Just all these little things that tend to make for a more joyous, full experience. I like that. So what was the thing that you heard the most starting out? And how did you use that as motivation or discipline in your process? Yeah. Um, one of the things I heard a ton was, is people were always telling you to play by the rules, play by the rules, play by the rules. And what does that mean like for you? To me, when I hear somebody play by the rules, it, it tells me that there was a, a, a somebody before me that set this guideline and this is how things are supposed to be. And some of that stuff, it's kind of societal, like things we make up in our brain. Other stuff may be stuff that we were raised and how we grew. Perhaps maybe somebody grew up a certain way and they had a certain set of rules that they had to abide by. I think rules are great. And I think that rules create great systems. However, if you are going to be a pioneer, an innovator, and a leader, sometimes you have to break those rules. You have to bend those rules and you have to think beyond those rules. And so when I'm looking at a set of rules, I'm trying to do an audit now of, okay, why does this exist and what could this potentially keep me from in terms of harm or danger? And if there isn't really a ton of harm or danger that it may keep me from, then why can't I experiment with it and push that boundary in that line a little bit so that cool, new, creative, cutting edge things can be made? You sound very Aquarius right now. <laughs> I'm an Aquarius too, so I get that is it. Funny. Yeah, we're always yeah. like, mm, how can I uh, make this my own thing? And I will we'll learn the rules, but I'm going to then learn how I can, like you said, um, break them, but in an appropriate way, you know? 
Yeah. And actually a testament to that, just for me to, to validate what you're saying. I remember the first time we met when you were working in retail and you actually sold me the glasses I just got rid of like a couple of days ago. Like I kept them because I loved them. I even remember. I even remember that your experience and how you communicated with me was very custom to you. Although you were following the guidelines of the place, I had never met somebody that I had an impact and I, I stayed in contact with at that store since then. And I bought maybe three, four, five pair of glasses. And so I just want to affirm you in that and saying that I definitely can see that that's how you live and operate. No, oh, I appreciate that from a fellow Aquarius. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So how was that motivation for you um, to basically, when you were starting out, to use that as your discipline yeah, in your uh, process? It's, so because I do audits on these rules, because I do audits on these things, I actually try to like, whenever I go to any experience, this is kind of separating a little bit from rules, but how it's kind of stepped into my daily life is, is let's say I'm going to go to, uh, what's your favorite coffee shop? You like coffee? Actually, I, I do like coffee, but I don't drink it. I do like okay. it, but I don't drink it. I drink tea. Okay, got you. So if you want to get a caffeine. great tea. Absolutely. Actually, I just recently stepped away from coffee for that reason. But um, if you want to go get tea, where would you go get a tea from? Um, tease me. Okay, tease me. I've never heard of that, but it sounds like a cool place. That's yeah, downtown. It's actually really good. If, do you know who Tamika Catchings is? Yeah, yeah, the Hooper. Mm -hmm. WNBA, baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, that's her um, shop. So it's great. Highly recommend. That's so cool. I'll have to check that out. Um, but regardless of like wherever your favorite tea place is, there's probably a reason why it's your favorite tea place. And so when you walk, when I walk into these places, when I walk into a coffee shop or a tea shop or a retail shop, I'm trying to figure out, okay, well, what is it about this? What are the foundations set here that makes me want to be here in the same way I'm auditing these rules. I got to audit this experience. And because what I find out it does is as an entrepreneur, it helps my own process become better because I'm thinking, okay, if I'm thinking about what about tease me that I like, maybe it's the aesthetic, maybe it's the taste, whatever it is, I'm paying six, five, six dollars for some tea, for some tea, like something I could make at the house for 20 cents. Maybe there's free Wi-Fi. Maybe there's something else. Who knows what it is? But whatever that thing is, I got to continue to do audits on these things. And so when I have a DJ set, I want to see, okay, well, maybe I should do an audit on how I set up my speakers. Typically, I do it this way because I've always done it this way. These are the guidelines I run by. But perhaps if I tweak this or tweak that, maybe upgrade this, downgrade that, there's going to be experience that resonates better with this set of clients. Now, is that how you've always thought or is that something you've been thinking ever since you've, you know, created your own stuff? Yes or no. Like when I, when I was younger, this is always my biggest, my biggest thing I, I say to young professionals that don't really know where they're going to fit into is don't always feel like you have to reinvent the wheel. Figure out what's already there. So whether I'm listening to a DJ routine that's already existed, or I'm looking at a t-shirt that's already there, or I'm looking at a jacket that's already there, or even with technology, I'm looking at other designs that are popular right now in the space. Well, in the same way that I'm doing that audit when I walk in to tease me, I'm doing an audit on all these other things too. So instead of me trying to create this brand new concept or this brand new idea, innovation is great, but what can I improve on that already exists? And I had not always thought about that. I used to stress myself out, always trying to hit a home run with every single idea. Everything has to be big, bodacious, extravagant, 
like aggrandize a simple process. But then one day I saw, <laughs> I think about this all the time. I saw on um, Instagram, they had a picture of like 20 different bread companies. And they're like, when you think that you have to always try to create something brand new, just look at the bread aisle. <laughs> but there's always that thing. I feel like um, you take what's already been done and then that gives you a starting pad to then put your own twist on it because you're not going to do something completely the same as somebody else because you're just two different people. Exactly. I mean, I'm just even thinking about this experience right here. Podcasts are nothing new, but the fact that this is your experience, you're inviting your guests, it's your touch and your flavor to it. It makes it unique. And that is enough just to get somebody interested, assuming that you have value. And obviously you do because you have people that want to come talk to you on a podcast. Yeah. Thank you for being one of those people. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, um, there's hundreds of podcasts now and everybody has that thing that makes it their own, you know. Um, I guess that brings us into our next question. <laughs> Do you recall using a specific strategy or lack of a better word, non-strategy? And what does that strategy look like? Or what did that strategy look like in the beginning? Because I'm going to follow that up with what does your strategy look like now? So. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I really am a strategy guy. I'm a process guy. I wasn't always, I tried to kind of, uh, in, in a way box myself in as a creative, you know, they say creatives just, they just let the feeling create the product. Like I used to try to think like that, but really what I found out is I was lacking the discipline and the structure and the focus that it required to create a strategy. And so when it comes to mentorship, some of these people I don't even per particularly personally know, but I kind of do, I'll scroll through, um, fashion websites, or I'll scroll through a DJ mix, or I'll scroll through these other things and try to pick out, okay, well, how do I think they built this process? And how could I do a process better? It even, it's so, it, to me, like strategy is so important. Like uh, one of my coworkers, we started color coding our cords. So we know what goes where when we put it up. So when doing our setups and teardowns, we can move that experience along faster. So I can focus on the music more. Just little things like that. So yeah, I would say strategy is everything. And if you don't have a strategy, you're kind of just flying just blindly and hoping that something sticks. Like when you first started out um, with DJing, what was your strategy like <laughs> for like choosing uh, even, songs or reaching out to clients? Did you reach out to anybody um, or did they find you or how did that? I was just like, fingers crossed, like somebody find me. Like if I'm out, like I don't have any business cards. I don't have any business cards. I don't have a way for you to reach me. I have my phone. If you pull out your phone, stop me in the middle of my mix. I'm just going to give you my information. But also, even with the music, like I wasn't even prepared with the music. I didn't even have my songs created, my crates created. So in, in DJ world, they call them crates. It's how you organize the energies or maybe the decades, the genres of your music. Like everything I had was just all jumbled up inside this computer. And so every time I stepped out because I wasn't prepared, I was nervous or I was, I was just like, I don't want to say on edge particularly because that's not really who I am, but I wasn't able to operate in my fullness because I wasn't prepared. And why was that? Was that because it was just like you saw it as a hobby and you didn't really think it would go too far or you just were in your head too much? I think in, in all honesty, if I'm being completely transparent, I didn't take myself serious. And I'm truly starting to believe as I get older, how you do a single thing is how you do everything. So if I didn't take myself in a serious, serious way that I was getting paid, I probably wasn't going to take myself serious in 
a volunteer opportunity or a social outing or how I dress or how I speak. And so when I started taking all these little things serious, then I found out that big things could naturally fall into progression. That's very honest. Very honest. And has your current process changed? I'm sure it has. <laughs> and if so, what does that look like now? So now you're not just winging it. Now you're just, you're like, what's the playlist going to be? Um, how's the lighting going to be? What am I going to say? Like, what does that look like for you? It's a conversation of intention and of a why. So it's not, not typically, I'm not trying to go down the, the deep whys, like why we are here for existence. But no, if I'm going to say yes to this gig, or I'm going to create this product, or I'm going to uh, meet with this specific client, why is it that I'm meeting with them? With our tech tool, if there's a new feature I want to develop and I want to design, it's like, why am I doing this? What is the purpose behind that thing? And if I can't attach a purpose or a reason behind it, it's not even worth wasting my time. It's like, why would I say yes to a gig that isn't going to, that I may not be a good fit for? If somebody wants a, a, an hour long country set, I'm not your guy. Our whys don't match up because why I do this isn't the same reason as probably why they would want me to do this. And so that's tough too, because then what you'll see is, is you'll have to turn down a lot of money and a lot of really awesome opportunities. But what I found is, is that when I say no to these opportunities, it's not particularly that I'm getting a ton of benefit out of it. Yes, I'm getting my time back and that's an amazing piece, but it's opening the door for somebody whose why is aligned to step into that space. And so understanding that if I'm not the best fit, I know there's somebody in my network that is. So why would I rob them of an opportunity? Because I didn't plan. I wasn't strategic as to why I would do this. And I just said yes, because maybe I wanted cash or just maybe I wanted to feel like feel like the man for an hour. How do you set yourself up for success for that? Yeah, uh, communication, number one. You got to figure out who are your points of contact and who are the who are the big decision makers in whatever this process is and go directly to them and just be. And, and that's another thing, too. We're talking about transparency in this conversation. Be honest with what you don't know. Be honest with what you do know and just keep that line of the communication as authentic as possible, because then you save yourself from a lot of issues. And I know with a lot of young people too, I'm finding out that follow up, like the, the, to submit your pride, to follow up for an opportunity. Let's say that somebody didn't text you back or somebody said they were going to call you back and they didn't. And then you choose not to follow up because of pride or ego or whatever that thing is, or maybe even insecurity that you think you're bothering them. Chances are, if you were to follow up, it's going to set you up to be successful in that big moment because all the information is on the table. So uh, when you're there, of course, there's gonna be some, some uh, audibles that you're gonna to have to call a little football term to say that you have to switch things up on the spot, but you wanna minimize those risks because what you're doing is very important. If, if you take yourself serious, at least, what you're doing is very important, so you have to be prepared. What was, is your most memorable moment as a DJ so far? <laughs> this is actually so interesting enough. It's less about the DJ side and more about just the community side of it is that one of, one of my first and biggest moments was when I actually paid an employee to help me out in my experience. And what that taught me was, is I got, I got a, a, in 2019 before everything happened, before the world kind of shut down, I had this little, this little run. It felt like, like diamond hands, like everything was working right. I was in front of thousands of people every single weekend. We were having this amazing experience. However, 
when I had the chance to hire employees to come with me, to help me set up, to help me create an experience, to help me set up lies, to take pictures for me. And then we all could celebrate and we could all could eat off of one person's dedication and focus. That's when I realized like that's the point for me of entrepreneurship to make sure that everybody gets a chance to win and everybody gets a chance to be a part of it. I'm not, I don't want to just do this for me anymore. And so now as I curate these experiences and I say yes to this stuff and I create budgets for this, I'm always trying to keep the people around me in mind. Because at the end of the day, like we as a society, long years ago, we existed in tribes. And as of recently, we've started to kind of push away from that and do this individualistic thing. And it's like, no wonder we suffer and we struggle and we're more sad than we've ever been as a society because we don't remember to make this about a community sometimes. Has your mindset shifted from then to now? And what kind of self-work do you practice? Oh gosh, my mindset, I feel like every single day, my mindset is I'm trying to grow and trying to adapt just because I recognize there's just so much that I don't know. I'm only one person. I don't particularly take myself as the smartest person or the most creative person, but you talk about like, what work does that take? Well, I think it takes working out. And so I say working out, but I mean that among many things. To me, creativity, intelligence, comprehension, all these things are like a muscle. The workout session. And there you go. Yeah. I mean, it fits right in with it. Like even conversation, it's all working out and all trying to make this thing just get better every single day. And so for me, I think about, okay, well, what are the fields that matter to me? Uh, financially, I got to be financial literate. Um, health wise, I have to actually physically work out. Now we're actually getting back to the actual word working out. Um, Creatively, I got to work out. I got to draw inspiration. I got to practice my skill. I got to practice my design, my craft, my DJing. Um, socially, I can't just box myself in and be by myself all day, which, mind you, I can be very good at doing sometimes when I get into my creative space. Like, I got to make sure that I'm continuing to be out there in the community, creating conversations, having these hard things, and working out every single And even spiritually, like, stay in prayer, stay in the word, stay understanding everything from a full circle. And then I realize, okay, now these things start to pour into the other things. Because I'm financially literate, I have more resource to get a good workout in at a, at a reputable spot because you can afford it. And because I'm spiritually healthy, I now have space and mental, mental and emotional space to have a conversation that might be tough. Maybe somebody has a different viewpoint than me on a sense. Because I'm spiritually centered, I understand that I'm not going to take this personal. I'm going to come with empathy, love, and grace. But if one of these buckets start to suffer, then all of a sudden I realize as a whole, the bar that we set also begins to drop a little bit as well. So what is the one thing that you have to do to, in order to stay like centered? Do you have to like listen to music or is that, does that remind you of being at work or, <laughs> or do you like to drink a nice hot cup of tea or watch your favorite TV show? Like, what is that thing for you? For me, as, as, as interesting and maybe cliche as it sounds, it's just to breathe. Because when I notice myself breathing and taking it in, that's like one of the most human, realistic experiences I can feel in my body is breathing. It's like, wow, I am alive. And when I'm reminded of the fact that I am alive, it just gives me so much joy to be like, wow, I get a chance. Regardless of whatever my circumstance is, I don't care if I lose everything tomorrow. I came from nothing. I don't care if I go back to nothing. I'm still alive and I still get a chance to make something new happen. 
And so if I can just take a moment, sometimes I'll just sit in my car, even before this interview, it's been such a busy day. I took about five minutes just to sit in this chair and just to breathe and be thankful. Do you do breath work? I used to, um, and I did it for quite some time, but after a while, for me, it kind of became, it became something that almost became like habitual. So like, instead of doing guided breath work, I just recognized how to do it. Actually, a, a good friend of mine, Derek Grant, he's a basketball trainer here in the area. We went out and did some breath work and some meditation one day, and it completely changed my life because it gave me a chance to kind of separate myself from my body and really just feel, just, just be present and feel. And so I assume you do it as well. Yeah, I've been doing it since, oh my gosh, when 2019, 2020, Wim Hof's breath work. And like, yeah, that's why I got started on as well. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. Virtual high five for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's great. Um, yeah, breath work is life changing. But what resources um, helped mold you along your journey and career? So interesting enough, I am not a reader. <laughs> I, um, I, I don't know what it is about books, something about the investment of books. Like it's really hard for me to get invested into something and then I not like it and I'm 200 pages in because now I got to put that time in to finish it. <laughs> but I recognize that can be a unique perspective, but there actually are two books that really started the shift for me mentally. And the first one was The Noticer. Um, that book was recommended to me by one of my high school track coaches. And it's about adding a dose of perspective to everything you do in this world. And so it would be people struggling through a lot of turmoil and strife in their life. And this, this image, this thing, this, this aura would come to them and give them perspective. She's like, hey, here's a little dose of perspective. And so for me, that was the first thing. And then the second thing, there's a, there's a very popular book now. Actually, when I read it, um, I don't remember how I stumbled across it. I found it in a Medium blog. This is probably like five years ago before it really blew up. But it was The Subtle Art of Not Giving a You-Know-What. Oh, yes. Um, I read that book. It's a cool book because like what it, what it really like when I added perspective to the fact that like nobody's really sitting up at night thinking about what I'm doing or really caring about what I'm doing. If I make a mistake and I write my wrongs, like people forget about things because we're all pretty much the own celebrity of our own life. It allowed me to be more bold in my, in my risk taking because I recognize if I did fail, if I did mess up, people really aren't going to care at the end of the day. They might gossip about it. They might talk about it, but is it really affecting my personal relationships, maybe my financial setting? Probably not. So like, why do I care so much? Um, and so, yeah, those are the two books. If you're not a reader, just read those two books and you might be set for life. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I can co-sign on the second book. The okay, first book nice. sounds really interesting. That's yeah. definitely something that's up my alley. Um, but what is one thing that you look forward to doing right now in your current position? Oh, so hiring people is so much fun because it's like you get a chance now to really give people a chance. And I just think about the people that hired me and they gave me a chance. I'm forever in debt to those people because they gave me a chance to make mistakes. They gave me a chance to learn. They gave me a chance to grow. They gave me a chance to get under my feet. And so figuring out how I can scale that and allow other people to be a part of this grander purpose, this grander mission. It's just been one of the most fulfilling and rewarding things for me. It's got me so excited to be a dad one day and give my kids and my family an opportunity to do cool things. It's like paying it forward, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it feels so good because 
I don't know. It's like gratitude when you realize, wow, somebody put me in this position and they allowed me the chance of growth and I want to do that for somebody else. That's like the ultimate blessing, I guess. Yeah. And I feel like you get to do it every time you give somebody a chance to share their perspective. It's like you are paying your hard work forward to somebody like me because I don't have a podcast, but now I have a chance to get my voice out there and to, and to share some of my perspectives because somebody else believed in me. So, so thank you so much. I appreciate that. A couple of questions and we'll wrap it up. But what is another creative or entrepreneur that is, inspires you and why? Another entrepreneur that inspires me. Oh my goodness. I have so many of them. Um, so DJ Metronome actually uh, here in town. Um, he's a DJ, very skilled. Uh, one of the most skilled for DJs I specifically know opened up a DJ Academy to where he spends a bulk of his week teaching young or even older people how to love the craft and be really involved in the craft. And then once you get good enough, he'll hire you to actually work some of the events in which he's staffed for. And so that just means so much to me because that is just so gracious for him to put his business and his reputation on the line for somebody to have a chance. That's just amazing to me. Um, and then actually another person that really inspires me too is a guy by the name of Aaron Snyder. I don't know if you know him or not, but he uh, kind of built his wealth and his, his financial wherewithals through insurance, but he's so gifted entrepreneurially that he will invest in young entrepreneurs to try to start out a business. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but that's not his focus. His focus is, is I want to see people win. I want to see brands created. And when it comes to content, like the ideas this guy has, I personally have never met somebody that has as many unique ideas as he does on a daily basis. So I know that he's working out that creative muscle. That's amazing. Yeah. That truly is amazing. And last but not least, one of my favorite questions to ask besides what does a typical day look like for you? But <laughs> this question is, what's the best advice you can give someone else right now? Yeah. Uh, there's actually a, a gentleman I, I subscribe to. Um, his name is Marquette Burton, and he has a he calls it the three sentence Quran Bible, whatever you want to call it in a religious space. And it is uh, it, it goes like this. It says the number one rule is to be you, be you and be who you are, whatever that is. Embrace that natural, authentic you. The second thing is, is to be good to that person. So it's one thing to embrace who you are. It's another thing to be good to who that person is, who that entity is. And the third thing is, is be good to good people. And this doesn't mean that you're bad to bad people, but this means of those that show you love, of those that show you compassion, show you care, return that tenfold. If you have a fan, if you have a fanatic, if you have a supporter, whatever that thing is, if somebody comments on the bottom of your Instagram, show that person love because they took time to invest into who you are. And when I started doing those things for myself, I just, I found a lot of the things that stressed me out or a lot of the things that weighed me down, they begin to dissipate because I wasn't focused on those things. I was focused on being myself, being good to myself and being good to those good people. That's good. That's really good. That's good stuff right there. Um, I really appreciate everything that you said today. It was very empowering and hopefully somebody got something from it. So I really appreciate this conversation we had and um, thank you so much. Um, I once again for being on this platform and sharing your process. 
Yeah. And, and again, thank you just so much for having the courage to do something like this, to have the courage to ask people. I'm sure there's so many times that people may completely ignore the email or completely ignore the reach out, but to know that you have the understanding and value in what you're called to do, that you're going to fight through those things either way. That means so much to me and it inspires me to continue to do what I'm doing. Oh, thank you. That was so kind. Appreciate you. I have a ton of respect for what you do and it's always a privilege to talk to you. Thank you for listening. If you want to continue to follow Iman Tucker and his endeavors, follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Iman underscore Tucker, as well as at Believe Brand Co. and at Believe Brand Media. And you know you can follow us on Instagram at The Workout Session. Please don't forget to share and tell us what you think of this week's episode. Until next time, continue to have the best week ever.